This is the Self-Taught or Not podcast with Dylan Israel and Eric Hanchett, where we teach you the do's and don'ts of software development from two software development professionals, one self-taught and one not. Hey guys, before we get started with our fantastic interview with Tim, I just want to do a shout out to one of my courses, the 100 Front End Interview Questions Challenge, which really helps you understand those core front end technologies and prep for those interviews. If you're interested, check it out in the description or show notes below. Okay, today we have an amazing guest. He goes by tech with Tim on Twitter and YouTube, but we just call him Tim. How's it going, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited about today. Cool. So the reason we wanted you on, and we were actually just talking a little bit before we started the, this podcast interview, is that you know me and, and Dylan are both in our 30s, but I think we can both say we haven't been in school. It's been a while since we've both been in school, and I know you're also a college student, a YouTuber, doing a lot of different things. So kind of want to deep dive into how it is nowadays in college. Like if you, you're, you're studying computer science, correct? Yeah, computer science, yeah. Cool. So I'd love to, to talk more about that. So uh, let's, let's just go and get started. Can you explain a little bit about yourself and, and your background? Yeah, for sure. So I am 19. I'm a full-time computer science student. I actually go to the University of Ottawa. So for anyone that doesn't know, that's in Ontario, Canada. It's the nation's capital. And I'm actually in a minor in business as well. So it's not like an official minor, but it's like a specialization in business. So pretty much all my elective courses go towards uh, like social context of business, marketing, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm a full-time YouTuber as well. So I have this YouTube channel called Tech with Tim. Started out just as like a basic tutorial channel, posting Python tutorials. And now it's kind of evolved into just a channel all about tech, programming, a little bit on like work ethic and stuff, some tips for developers, things like that. I uh, just started this podcast now called Time Out with Tim. Uh, that I had the first episode go live today. And other than that, I'm going to be joining Microsoft as a software engineering intern remotely this summer. So we actually just heard I believe that was like two days ago that it's going to be a remote work term. So still waiting for some details on that, but that's pretty much the basic little summary on me. Quite, quite a bit. Now you mentioned the, the minor in business. Is that sort of what's led you to these side projects and sort of developing those paths? Is that just something you're naturally attracted to? Um, I'd say a little bit of both. So I kind of started, the reason I actually did the specialization in business was because of the business I'm running now. Um, so I wanted to learn more about accounting. I wanted to learn more about branding, marketing, just some skills that I think kind of apply to all different domains. So I figured what better idea than let's take these elective courses. Cause I actually have quite a few in computer science and put them towards something that's actually valuable to learn. So I definitely like was more interested in business before I started taking those courses. Not that they've like degraded me or anything. Um, but that's why I took them because I just wanted to learn more. And like the most valuable class I've taken at university so far has been an entry level accounting course <laughs> by far with the business I run now. It's helped me tremendously. And I think that too, you've kind of approached YouTube and you kind of your side projects while you're going to school more than just a hobby. You're sort of considering it a, a full-time business. So it's, it's, it's kind of a fun hobby, but also more like a business, right? You've, you've incorporated. And things yeah. Like yeah, for sure. So I, yeah, I'm incorporated. I mean, I own the corporation tech with Tim incorporated. Uh, I think a lot of people, I mean, you guys probably would understand, don't know how much actually goes into YouTube and running it as a business where you're generating income as well. Uh, so that's something that I've kind of grown into as I started the channel. Didn't start as something to make money or to be a business. It's just started as like a large passion, which it still is. 
And then as kind of the years go on and the time goes on, it's evolved into a business, which has allowed me to do things like this, right? Like a podcast, reaching out to people like you uh, and just generating the income to be able to make better, higher quality content constantly. Yeah, for sure. Let, let me ask you this. So I know when I was going to school, and I'm going to date myself, it was probably <laughs> my computer science degree was in the mid 2000s. I probably graduated in 2008. But there was always like a, a group of CS people, or a group of business people that really were into computers. And there was these sort of like in between degrees where it wasn't an engineering degree for computer, for, you know, computer science, but it was like a computer information systems or computer information services or something in between where you get a kind of healthy balance of business type classes, accounting classes, but then you also get some, a touch of the computer science programming development engineering classes. Is that offered at your school or do you see something like that? Yeah. So I think if I'm understanding correctly, what you're talking about might be MIS, which is management information systems. Um, correct. Maybe that's, I know a few people yeah. in like the business stream and that's what they're taking and they've had to take some introduction level programming classes. Um, like, so they're taking pretty much just business and then they're taking like as their elective courses, like introduction to computing, like computing to like databases, like stuff like that. So maybe that's what you're talking about. I, I do see that, but it's not super technical. Like I don't think a lot of people in that program would really learn how to code or if they do, they learn a bit, but not like enough to really be on their own in that sense. So obviously that wouldn't be the right fit for you. So, so let's kind of go back a little bit. So how long you mentioned that you've been doing some of these things for a while. So how long have you been programming and when did your YouTube channel start? Sure. So I started programming. It's always blurry at the beginning because I was so young, probably at around the age of 11 or 12. I usually just stick with 12 to not make it seem like I was too young. Um, but yeah, that really started with just like HTML and CSS. Like I was just always really interested in how things worked, why things worked. And school for me was just so easy, like elementary school, not to be cocky, but just genuinely, it didn't challenge me. It was something where I just show up, do the work. I never really had to put any effort into it. So when I found programming at such a young age, I don't really know exactly how I got introduced to it. Probably just browsing through the internet one day and saw like how to code and watched a quick tutorial and was hooked. Uh, I was just really interested. So I just kept learning that as a hobby when I was a kid. Uh, and then, you know, when I got to 14, 15, hit high school, just started learning even more and realized, hey, I'm pretty good at this. This is really awesome. Like this is something that challenges me that I can get better at and that I don't already know, like a lot of the stuff that was in elementary school. And then when I hit 16 or 17, I started the YouTube channel. So it started out as really just like a hobby. Um, it's actually because I was working as a STEM program coordinator at a summer camp that I went to, which pretty much allowed me to teach coding to kids. So we ran this specialty at the camp, which was teaching coding. And I'd started the YouTube channel slightly before I started doing this. But once I started that at the camp, I was like, I want to post videos on YouTube so that these kids that I'm teaching can go to this channel afterwards and learn more. So I started posting and then, yeah, that was kind of really how it started out it was just, you know, a passion, a hobby, something that I really enjoyed when I was a kid. And then as I got older and better at it and realized, hey, I have kind of a real talent and skill for this, at least at my age, let's teach this to the kids at the summer camp, which was super rewarding. And then let's start this YouTube channel and then really just kind of took off from there and just started growing. I like that bit about volunteering. This is like something I harp on all the time. And sometimes people think that you need to be like an, an engineer with like 20 years of experience or a senior level developer. And, it, and they don't realize how much they know. And just like being able to pique a kid's interest it can send that, you know, can change their lives. So I like that quite a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was really like such a rewarding thing for me because when I was a kid, when I found programming, that really, I would say changed my life. Like it, it allowed me to see 
just a different side of things and start getting good at a skill that I really enjoyed so young. And if I wasn't fortunate enough to have access to a computer, even see that or just come across that one day on the internet, I have no idea if I would even be sitting in this chair today talking to you guys, right? So that's something that I like, it wasn't volunteering at the camp, like I was getting paid to do that. Um, but still, I really enjoyed doing that. It was really rewarding. And to me, it's just so great to see like after one lesson, this kid who maybe was a little bit shy in the corner, not really doing anything, pick up programming, get super into it. And now I know he's going to go home and learn programming. And, you know, maybe I just literally changed his life. He found this new passion, this new hobby. He might be the new Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, you know, any of that stuff. Um, just because he was introduced to that topic at a young age or she or whoever, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty amazing. I teach, I've never taught, like, unlike you, t you Tim and, and Dylan, I've never taught, like, in a classroom in front of people other than maybe a, I don't know, like a, a meetup, something like that, but I've never done, like, volunteering or been in front of a classroom of kids like that. I have started teaching my own kids to program, and I could talk about that a lot. I, I found that really young kids, it's kind of hard when you're starting to teach them because if they don't know the basics of even typing, yeah, or using the computer, then you are, it's like a tremendous hurdle to teach them how to, to program. Um, because if they can't even type the commands, then you're having problems. That's what I've noticed. How old are your kids? I have a, an eight year old and a 10 year old. Okay. So they, they're get, definitely getting better typing, <laughs> but it's still a little bit of a struggle. There's definitely two finger typists. We have, yeah. there's a bunch of free typing stuff online. It's kind of yeah. funny, the, the two-finger typing are at both ends of the spectrum, the very young and the very old. <laughs> it's like there's the in-between. Cool. Yeah, let me, uh, that's definitely something I want to do in the future. So what made you think, um, and we're going to, I want to ask you a little bit more about computer science and, and what you think of it, but what do you, when you were finishing up high school and looking to go to college, was there any thought in the back of your head that, like maybe I shouldn't go to college and maybe I should uh, try to become a self-taught developer. I mean, you pretty much were, if you were since the age of 12, yeah. you probably knew the basics, but why, why, why not just go and find a computer science or not computer science, but a, a development job locally in your town doing web development and then not go to school. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good point. And to be kind of blunt, I wasn't at like a level when I was maybe 15 or 16 where I thought I was good enough without a degree. Um, I hadn't really, I don't know, even like three years ago, you know, it was a lot different than it is today in terms of if you need a degree or not. I think I would say probably in the past two or three years, there's been a massive change in terms of a lot of companies realizing that a degree isn't the most valuable factor for a candidate, right? And not ruling people out based on the degree. But two or three years ago, both my parents are highly educated. Like my dad has a master's. He has like specializations and stuff like that as well. They were really encouraging me to go to school. Um, and I always had a little bit of a thought in the back of my head, like, do I need this? Like, it doesn't seem that, but it kind of was just something that I just assumed I was going to do. It was just like engraved in my brain since such a young age and not like brainwashed or anything like that, that like the path was just to go to university. Like what I'd been working for in high school was to go to university, right? So it wasn't really a question I asked. It was something maybe I pondered about, especially more as I got into first year and considered potentially dropping out. Um, but to actually go to make that decision was something that was kind of just in my head. It was like just what I was going to do. And I didn't really think about it a ton because I didn't feel confident enough with my current skill level that like if I didn't go, I would be you know good enough, um, if that makes any sense. I mean, Dylan, you've dealt with that. 
Uh, I mean, I, it's a, uh, it's strange because it's it's hard to know where you stand until you're you're actually in the work environment, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not something you can go to meetups, you can you know go to hackathons and stuff like that, but it's so different until you're working. And I you know I I grew up in the same fashion, even not having a degree. I have two hundred and sixteen completed credits, and it was just like you go to college and because that's what you do, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise you're gonna be a homeless crackhead. And so it's uh you know, I, I completely understand it being ingrained and like, it's, um, you know, Eric and I have talked about this quite a bit with the whole self-taught or not aspect. And it's, uh, it's interesting because it's every, everyone's path I think is needs to be different, but are unique to themselves. Right. So the common path is go to school, get your degree and then, uh, you know, get your, get your foot in the door. But I, I always think it's worth mentioning that like, that's not going to work for everybody. It didn't work for me. Uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, I don't know. I, I, I miss, at times I think about going back uh, for MI, MIS, specifically that to get a more business oriented uh, mindset. Uh, yeah. I, Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. I'll, I'll jump in here. I, I was going to say, I just echo both what you guys said. It definitely, when I grew up, definitely felt ingrained as well to get a degree and kind of just looking around back in the mid 2000s, late 2000s, it still felt like if you looked at the landscape of jobs out there, you know, nine, and I, I live in Reno, Nevada. It's more of a gambling state. A lot of gambling companies are here. And almost all of them would say you need a computer science degree or equivalent to even, can, to even get the job, to even get an interview. It, it sounded like impossible. And when I was coming out of high school, I felt like, like the only way I could get a job maybe was if I went to one of these smaller like web dev places, but then, you know, we all know there's some great smaller companies out there, these small mom pops, but a lot of them don't pay very well. So I'd begin making like $15 an hour, you know, slinging code. So it was definitely ingrained in my head at the time. Like if I get a degree now I'm jumping up to, you know, 50, $60,000 as a starting job as a CS grad versus, you know, $15 an hour trying to go to one of these web dev companies. I think you're right. I think in the last few years, it's definitely changed a little bit. That kind of leads me into my next question. Uh, Do you think there's like a negative bias towards CS grads nowadays? You know, I just was looking on Twitter the other day and I saw a whole thread from someone that basically said, you don't need, and this is true, you don't need to have a CS degree to get to be a developer. And then this person repeated that four times. And then the last thing they said was, let's stop the fucking gatekeeping um, period. Essentially saying that companies shouldn't use computer science degrees as any sort of gatekeeping, preventing self-taught developers or bootcamp grads from getting jobs. I mean, what is your take on that? Do you have an opinion or? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's an interesting thread because I see that all the time as well, especially now. I mean, a lot of people are like, you know, I don't want to pay my 10 grand a year to go to university for a useless degree and all of that. the gatekeeping, I think it's hard to say. I think if you're a business owner, I mean, that's your decision. You can make your decision based on what employees you have and what you've seen in, in like history in the past, whether you want someone with a CS degree or not. I mean, I know Google recently dropped their requirement to have a degree to work at that company. And I think more and more people are realizing that it's not really the degree, it's the person. It's the what? The person, I think, is what you're saying. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. But... I guess it kind of goes into like what value is a CS degree if companies aren't looking at it 
any longer. I made you take. Whereas someone who's a self-taught developer, unless they can prove to me that they know that, I wouldn't imagine, I mean, I'm sure some do, that most self-taught developers that haven't gone to university, and maybe you guys can talk to this because you have this kind of podcast, have a really good math background, which to me, I think is a big deal in computer science, especially as I'm learning more about algorithms and data structures and efficiency of code and, and that kind of thing. I don't think if I was a self-taught programmer, I would have gone ahead and learned things like linear algebra, calculus one, calculus two. I don't think I would have done discrete mathematics um, and like probability and statistics and things like that, which I think is what a CS degree says. You've at least done this. You have an idea of that. So in terms of the gatekeeping aspect, I don't think it should be a gatekeeping thing. Like, I don't think that should be required to you know have an interview or something like that. I think there's a lot of candidates that are going to be missed out on if they have that as a gatekeeping area, which you're talking about. But at the same time, I think it's fair to say that we want to make sure that our candidates have know all these different things where if someone's self-taught, I don't know that they've learned all these different aspects, which maybe I want them to know. And some people might say, well, that's not relevant to your job, but I think that teaches a good programming brain. And it shows you that this person at least has an idea of what all these different concepts are. Do you see where I'm kind of getting at with that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I see both sides of the coin. So I have done all those courses. I've done Calc 1, 2, trigonometry, discrete mathematics, linear algebra, all those sorts of items. And it is true that for the majority of roles, you probably aren't going to use them. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have about four or five years experience. I've never used anything above basic algebra. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but that's not to say that you wouldn't in certain roles. Like I have a friend who uh, works in Python on a regular basis and sort of does um, sort of a full stack slash data scientist and does something more complex. But I do like the part about, because um, I think to be a successful software engineer, you have to, to a degree, reprogram the way you see the world. You have to sort of create this logical box of which you can branch out and dissect and break things down to their most atomic size. And you can see the whole picture, but you know uh, which puzzle pieces and you have to define those puzzle pieces. So all those classes, whether it's the physics, the discrete mathematics, do at the end of the day, help the way that you sort of can break that picture down. I agree. Kind of, that kind of goes into my next question. What do you, um, you, I know recently you were on a, a YouTube collab with Clement mm -hmm. from Algo Expert. And he, he basically has a service that teaches people algorithms and it's, you can, pay a monthly subscription and it's pretty high quality and you did a mock interview with him to do to do an algorithm interview that you typically would see at like a fang type job and when we say fang that's usually facebook google amazon uh, you know, and all those companies yeah. every t every time you say fang you never say in the right order and it <laughs> <laughs> okay go what's the right order facebook amazon netflix google Fang. Okay. That's it. You just you don't like, say Fang with two A's. Apple, Amazon. I I I'm not, I don't like Apple. No. no? no, 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 no. <laughs> we, but yeah, you could put them in there. Okay. Fair I, I guess the point being is that the, these. What what do you think about whiteboarding interviews? Did you have one when you were doing your internship for Microsoft? Mm -hmm. And uh, what kind of what's your overall thought? I, actually, just one more point to add before you answer that, Tim, was that Clement just had a really good video where he mentions that you know he really believes in algorithms obviously he has a service on it but he was thinking that that is a good way to prepare people for jobs um in in the programming space and the reason he said that is 
you know, one, it's a great way to, to, to check how, what level of competency someone's at, their communication skills, their problem solving skills. It's also a great way of filtering out um, false positives where you might, someone could basically trick their way into an interview because you, it's really hard to fake an algorithm interview and go through it while maybe other type of interview types, it's easier to do that. And it's really scalable too. For sure. Yeah. So I did, I'll tell you my experience with whiteboarding interviews first, and then I'll kind of answer those questions. So I got an interview, a phone interview for Microsoft. Um, and I obviously have accepted that job in probably like early November. And that interview took place like two weeks after I secured the interview. So I had never once done like one of these programming type questions. Like, okay, maybe a few random ones, but I didn't know what lead code was. Like I didn't do any of these kind of questions. So as soon as I got that phone interview, I started doing a little research and was like, okay, hey, what the heck is this? So I figured out, oh, damn, I'm going to have to like actually kind of prepare for this to make sure I at least understand what's being asked of me. So I know how to answer this question properly. So anyways, I did a little bit of prep. Uh, the phone interview was pretty easy. I passed the phone interview. Also remember that I program all the time. So regardless of the fact that I don't do these kind of questions, I'm still pretty good at answering them, even if I'm not preparing for them. Uh, and then once I got that, they're like, okay, we're going to bring you out on site to Redmond to do your interview. So I didn't really know what this was going to look like. Again, like I hadn't even been looking at this big space. Like I didn't realize this was a huge kind of niche on programming interviews and making videos and courses and things on programming interviews. So I just started preparing and I had the interview about a month and a half later, just actually it was probably two months later in January because the Christmas break was coming up. So I went, I did a bunch of prep, I did lead code, I used Algo Expert, which is a great service. I definitely recommend that. And I did that mock interview with Clement, um, which you would have seen on, uh, that was like the Google mock interview. It was like a calendar matching questions, something like that. Uh, so I did do three in-person uh, whiteboarding interviews at Microsoft. All three of them were different and all three of them were not what I was really expecting. So I was kind of told that Microsoft was going to ask these kind of questions. This is what it was going to look like. This was the format. But because I was applying for a very specific position, I was applying for one position. I wasn't applying just as a general intern. Like I knew the team I was going to be on already when I went there, uh, which is in the cloud and AI division. It's the core Python extension team. I had three people on that team actually interview me. So the first interview I did, just to give a little context here, was like a pretty basic run length encoding question. It was kind of vague. It was like, you know, if you want to encode these characters using numbers and letters, um, how would you do that? So it wasn't even just like, a programming question. It was also somewhat of a design question because they wanted me to go through the algorithm I was actually going to pick to write. So that was interesting, something I hadn't really didn't think was going to come. Uh, and then I had another question, which was pretty much make Minesweeper, like a very basic implementation of Minesweeper. Uh, and that was like really all he said. He was like, this is how Minesweeper works. He's like, these are the functionality I want you to have, like class it out, like do whatever you need to do. And then the last question was a really difficult custom question that the guy himself asked. This was the boss of the team, uh, like kind of the, the big boss is what I like to call him. Uh, and it was a, like, I would rank it a hard leak code question, although it wasn't anything like you would see on leak code. So I passed all those questions from their feedback. I thought I did really well. And now to get into my kind of opinion on it, just so I give you at least some background to understand where I'm coming from. I think they're a very good way uh, to test a candidate's ability. I think I don't know that much about front end. I think you guys do more, a lot more web dev stuff than me. So maybe you can talk about that after, but at least for critical thinking, the skills and backend development and just programming in general, I think that's one of the best tests you can kind of give someone because you can really dive into their thought process and see how they think 
through that interview. And to me, that's the biggest deal. Like if I was running a tech company today, I would 100% screen all my candidates if they were going to be programmers with a whiteboarding question, because I just want to see how they think. I don't even really care if they can, like, if they have an algorithm memorized and they can answer it in like 10 minutes and are just like really good at coding. I just want to see how they think. I want to see how they work with other people. And I want to see how they explain themselves. Because to me, communication is a huge deal. Um, And I think that if anything, the whiteboarding interview, which a lot of people I think fail to realize is more of a test on your communication skills and your thought process than it is on your actual ability. Obviously you have to program, but for me, the easiest part is actually programming and writing the algorithm. The hardest part is trying to talk about it while I'm doing it and make sure they understand what I'm saying and I can explain my solution clearly. And that's why I definitely do believe in them. I think that we're losing a few candidates when we do something like that, because maybe there's some people that are really good um, designers, right? But they just, they crack under the pressure. Like they can't deal with doing that in front of someone in 45 minutes, which I get. That's the only really negative I see, like in my opinion, is that we're probably going to lose some people due to just like the nervousness of them coming onto site and having like three people sitting behind them while they have 45 minutes to code out and talk about a solution on a whiteboard. But if they can handle doing that, then I think it's a great screening process. That's kind of my thought process on the whiteboard coding interview. I enjoy doing them personally as well. I think they're like, I think they're fun, but I get why some people get nervous doing them. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I've, I've, I get the nervous aspect. So when I first started interviewing for roles and this happened back in college also, when I was, I'd take like midterms and finals, I'd get so nauseous. Sometimes I throw up, uh, it doesn't happen anymore, but I I do remember when I first started interviewing and doing whiteboard stuff, I would like throw up in the bush and I'd go and do my interview. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I, so I, I have sort of a slightly different stance on this. I, I like the idea. I'm a very, I, I agree completely about the communication. Like you can go write the world's best algorithm, but if you can't explain how it works and why you did it, you're not going to get the job. And so you gotta be able to do that. Cause that's, that's part of being a team. It's part of working together. I like to give something so simple that if you can't solve it, then there's an issue like you should yeah. be able to use the basic language and and this and that but the the best type of whiteboarding problems in mine are less uh, maybe data structure and algorithm focused but more so um like i think it was you said one of your interviews was the minesweeper one if you had to design something what would your classes be how would you do it would it be you know would you use inheritance would you you know let them just sort of very high level break it down and if they can't do that then that that's a little scary to me Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's why I was a little bit taken aback when I went there because what I actually do better than I would say (laughs) programming questions is design. I mean, I've written a lot of programs. I've created a lot of applications and stuff. Nothing like, you know, super to scale, but it is something that's a huge skill is taking this massive problem and breaking it down into every single subcomponent until you get to the simplest problems possible and solving them. Uh, And that's what I would definitely do as well. So those more design type questions I really like, I enjoy them more. And I think that you're right. I think they show more because you get like, that's what I was kind of trying to get at is you can really dig into the way someone thinks about a problem and the way that they approach us, like getting a solution and the way they break down complex information. And to me, that's where there's a lot of value in these programming interviews. Even if I like, I would give someone a very difficult design question and just ask them, just do it, like just go and just see what they come up with and try to hint them and guide them along the way. And I don't even care if they get a final answer. I just wanted to see their process of trying to solve it. And at Shopify, I actually did a interview. So this was local. That was in Ottawa. And that's pretty much what they asked me. I didn't write one line of code. All they asked me was, 
designed this. Like that literally was the sentence that they started off with. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but like they gave me a little bit of specification. Essentially it was a system for like hooking up uh, photographers and I guess it's people that are selling stuff on the site so that they can send them products and they can take photos of it. And to me, that's a much more valuable question. I passed that interview as well, uh, where they're just asking you design this, draw out the classes. Like how would you break down this information? Cause I think if you know someone is good enough at programming, the implementation should be the easiest part. The hard part that I really want to look for is how do they think, right? Like what are they thinking about when they're doing this? Which I think you were getting at. I like those design questions too. I think they're a good way of, of figuring out if someone really understands a concept or not. You know, you kind of going back to what you were saying at the beginning about how you were unaware or probably knew some of it, but weren't, didn't know how, how much algorithm type questions were involved in these interviews for some of these tech companies you know i was the same way when i even when i was in college i don't think it was until my like my senior year or until i was really starting to look for jobs till i realized that whiteboarding interviews were really quite common and probably not as common as they were then they're still pretty common for bigger companies but it was it was just it was something that you just kind of have to learn and i know one of my classes i took was I mean, I think we all take some data structure classes in a typical computer science curriculum that's involved. And then usually you do get at least one or two algorithm classes. And I think you're, you're a junior or sophomore in college? Yeah, I'm second year. The second year, you said. Yeah. So have you even gotten to those senior level algorithm type classes <laughs> yet? Uh, no. So I, uh, I did one like introduction to data structures and algorithms, which was just like, it's a joke of a class. They don't even, you don't implement the data structures and algorithms. Like you just learn about them. So it, I don't even find that that valuable because you know, I, I don't know what good it's going to do to what. Well, yeah. Okay. Understanding how it works obviously is important, but if you can't implement it or actually apply that knowledge, uh, it's not very useful. So no, I had to learn all this stuff beforehand. I mean, like I knew about data structures and algorithms. Like, again, remember I've been programming since I was 12. So like, all the medium questions, uh, like on, uh, what is it, Algo Expert, I could pretty well already do, but the hard and very hard questions were a lot more difficult for me. Like even things, I'm trying to remember some of the names of the algorithms. Yeah, it's not coming to me. Anyways, uh, like just some of the specific ways of solving, like dynamic programming, for example. Yeah, like I didn't know yeah. that. Uh, I didn't, I had no idea what that was. So when I started learning that, like I found that interesting, first of all, but I had to learn all of those things in like a month and a half, two months. So I just grinded like an hour or two every day, you know, finished pretty well every single question on Algo Expert. I think there's like 85. I just, I didn't do like the super hard ones, but I did most of the ones that were for my level. And then I just did like a hundred lead code questions because I enjoyed doing them. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, if you're not like looking into what the interview is going to look like and you just somehow end up getting one, I think you're probably going to end up being pretty screwed if you don't do a little bit of prep. Cause even me, like I was going to be nervous for the interview. I'm like, damn, like if they ask me a question like this, that's like super hard. Like I'm going to struggle to answer this. So yeah. Let me ask you this. The did I'm, I think me and Dylan and both have benefited from putting ourselves out there talking about um, programming topics, creating courses, being kind of YouTube, personalities and I've heard some companies they look for people like me and Dylan who have this kind of background that are putting ourselves out there as constant learners and then I know some other companies like it doesn't even register on their radar like yeah. being a YouTuber doesn't matter at all it what did you what what is your feelings on that I mean, I'm guessing Microsoft since they still put you through the three interview gauntlet for the internship that they didn't really consider your extra YouTube stuff to be that valuable or yeah so Actually, uh, yeah, I mean, 
Okay, I'll talk about Microsoft and Shopify because both those interviews actually ended up getting because of YouTube. Uh, I think for me, what being, what having a personality on the internet or having a channel or having some kind of platform where you're showing like your passion and your skill, I think what that does is more let you get the interview. It's like, okay, this guy's good enough. Like we, we've seen he's has some skills. We'll bring him on and we'll give him a chance. Like that's what it was for me at least. And the way it worked at Microsoft is actually someone at Microsoft reached out to me, not for an interview. They didn't want to hire me. Uh, they reached out for like some kind of business related thing for my channel. And I just pretty much sent him an email back after we had this long chain and said, Hey, I'm looking for an internship this summer. Do you guys have any recruiters? Anyone I can maybe talk to like forward my resume to someone. And he did. So he forwarded my resume to someone who's on the team or was on the team that I'm going to be working on. And she just got on a phone screen with me and she was really interested in a lot of my YouTube stuff. So I had done like a big TensorFlow course or I was in the process of making that. So she was really interested in that because this team was focused on ML and AI as well. Uh, and I, it helped me tremendously. I mean, there's definitely no negative um, downfall from it, but I think that they don't take that as like, okay, you're good enough because you have that. I think that's like, that's interesting. That gets you in the door, but you still got to prove yourself with those algorithm questions. Like, okay, well, if you're that good, you might as well just do some algorithm questions for us. Right. And just show that you really are that good. So that's kind of my experience with it. Shopify, they explicitly told me the reason they interviewed me was because of my YouTube channel. Um, but again, I still had to do the design questions. I still had the regular round of interviews. I didn't get any special treatment because I had that. It was just what kind of made them go, oh, you know, we'll give this guy a chance. Like, this is interesting. We don't see this every day. So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. And I think um, as someone with a less traditional background, not a degree, that that is sort of the, the go-to advice for like, whether you have a degree or not have a degree, you have to catch their interest, right? You have to say, hey, how, you know, oh, okay, this guy doesn't have a degree, but he does have this and he's talking about these things. So clearly he, he knows something. <laughs> Let's see what's out there, right? And so um, if you have that with the degree, it's definitely going to stand out quite a bit. You know, it, it kind of gets in your head too a little bit. You'd be like, like I, I have 400 videos and I have 20 videos on web, you know, 20 videos on this very specific topic that you're hiring for. That's going to be a big deal. You know, you almost want to be like, do I still need to prove myself? I know you got yep. me in the door, but I mean, look, look, I know how to do this. You can see my body of work. You can look at my GitHub. But for an employer's perspective, they're thinking like, this guy's interesting, but does he really know it? Like, it doesn't matter if you if you have all this stuff out there. And it's, it's almost a little frustrating if you think about it, but it's like, I can completely understand you still need to prove yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I understand the video stuff as well. But for me, it's like, if I'm thinking about it as an employer perspective, like there's a lot of people that can put videos out there where they actually don't know what they're talking about. Right. So regardless of like what they're following is, like, I, I think it's probably just it's an internal policy where they need to put you through those kind of rounds, especially if you're not, you don't already like, I had no experience before this in programming. I think that they just kind of have to do it. And, and my logic behind it is like, if you're that good and you're telling me like, Oh, I should have to go through it why don't you just do it if you're that good? Like, why don't you just do it and pass it and just get it done with, right? Like, if you're that good, you should be able to pass, no? Yeah, for sure. And also, I will say, though, there is jobs out there where there's definitely the good old boy network of people hiring yeah, their buddies that's and true, friends, yeah. and, and they, they don't have to go through the, the rigorous things that a lot of us have to go through. So let's continue on here. Where, where can I find one of those, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty sweet. No, no, I've I've seen it. I've been in companies where, oh, this is a friend of mine, and then like they get hired. And that that really ha happened to me. I um, there's a startup in um, I was actually interviewing with Microsoft, and this company had rejected me because they wanted to hire a buddy's homie, 
they're like, hey, you gave us the best code example, but we can we can only hire one person, and we sort of know this guy, so we're gonna hire him. And then they they made me offer later. And I told them to suck it because <laughs> I'm mature like that. That's how, that's how that went down. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, happens. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this: uh, What is a a typical college student in 2020 in computer science? What should they expect? You kind of already went over some of the classes a little bit earlier. Yeah. But is there anything in particular and is there any extracurricular clubs that that you're in i kind of want to get an idea what like college life is in 2020 for a computer science student sure yeah so i'll say right now my life is not typical whatsoever i hope everyone understands that that's listening to this so don't take like that i'm doing all this as a normal thing because it's not like i'm working very hard to do this but um a typical life of a college student yes all right so the courses that you take i think you'd actually be surprised at what a low level of programming most college and university students are at. I know I'd say a majority of my friends in CS and nothing against them. It's just, they don't go out and do it on their own uh, or would even be able to pass like a phone screen for any of these large companies. Uh, I don't think like I would feel confidence like marking down like seven or eight of them being like, yeah, there's no way they would pass that Uh, just because there's, they don't really teach that. Like I've only taken three or four classes where we've even been required to program something. And most of those classes, like the programming, it's like what you have like three or four assignments you do and they're just pretty easy. And most people just copy off each other anyways, like at least at my school, cause I'm not at U Waterloo or something like that. That's a whole different story. Cause I'm at U Ottawa. Uh, it's not, it's not very rigorous. It's not very tough. It's not very like, it's, I'll walk you through what the courses are. So you get an idea. So first year I had an introduction to programming class that was taught in Python. That was like fundamental Python knowledge. Like they got up to classes and objects and it was just like teaching you how to write code. They assume you know absolutely nothing. And that was the lowest GPA average of my first year. Uh, Not for me, but for everyone in the program. I think it was like a 5.35 out of 10 was the average in that class. So it kind of tells you a lot of people that jump into CS, they don't know how to program already. So don't feel bad if you're going in there and you don't know how to program, but you might want to at least like try it beforehand. Sorry. Is that, is I'm sorry to interrupt you for a second. Do yeah, you no consider problem. that like a weed out class? Is that it's the level is a little difficult for most people. So that's why everybody has such a low. Um, that's it. See, I w- I would like to think that like, I, I, that's what I was trying to think, but half that class, like no exaggeration, half the stuff they taught in that class. I taught kids how to program that were like in like a week, like that were aged <laughs> like 10 to 14, like the fundamental programming basics. Like our first three weeks of that class was stuff that I easily taught in one week to kids that like, and that picked it up quite well. They were 14 and that's not me trying to be cocky. It's just like, it was easy content. It wasn't very difficult. Uh, at least for me. I mean, maybe it's hard for me to say that because like I've been programming for so long and it's just in my brain. But I think like I've shown people that content before. I've seen people that have done it. It's not that difficult. It's like basic Python programming. Like it's one of the easiest programming languages to learn. If you can't do that, that you shouldn't be in CS, right? So maybe, yeah, it's a weed out class. Maybe that's their logic, but I don't think it was designed to be a weed out class. I just think that so many people hop in CS now because they see those six figure salaries in these big fang companies. And they think like, oh, I'll just go get a CS degree and do that. So they jump in without having any idea what it is. And they just, they don't like programming. So they don't practice and they don't apply themselves and they don't do well. So that was that first programming class. That was the only programming class I had for a semester. Then I had calculus one, I had linear algebra, I don't remember everything else that I had, but, oh, I had like technical report writing or something like some random English class I had to take. And then the next semester we had introduction to programming two, which was in Java. 
This one was a little bit more difficult, but again, it wasn't crazy hard. It was like learning about object-oriented design, like interfaces, classes, objects. That was a really low GPA as well. And then we didn't have any other programming classes really at all until second year when we had data structures and algorithms. That was just like base, you would write some basic assignments that weren't even really related to data structures and algorithms. And then any other programming classes? We definitely had one other one, but I forget exactly what that was called. And then this semester for me, the programming class I had was uh, programming paradigms. So that's, we're learning scheme, prologue, uh, go, and we did a little bit of Java just to imp, like experiment with different types of programming. Do I have any other programming classes this semester? I have introduction to software and or I had introduction to software engineering last semester, which was in Java. You're making like a, just make a project in Java essentially and learn about like object oriented design and things like that. But a majority of my classes so far, have just been math. There's just been logic and math. Just like the first two years of CS are really like, foundational like they're just trying to get everyone to a similar level so that they all know the math they all know you know, the basic programming like they're they're wanting everyone coming out a second year to be confident to write a program in java on their own and that's why like it's not it's not very advanced and that's why i see a lot of people having trouble getting internships just with a cs degree in like one first or second year because they don't really know any programming at all they've done like some basic python some basic java they know no libraries they know no modules they know no frameworks uh, they've done like three or four projects with school. That's it. So like, can you really even call yourself a programmer at that point is my logic uh, because they haven't really done any programming and I'm looking at them and I'm like, why are you not working on side projects? Why are you not programming? I'm like if you're in CS, you should want to program like a hobby of yours should be programming. So that's to me what like a typical CS student is someone that literally has a very foundational knowledge of programming um, knows a lot of math, like he's probably really good at math, um, knows a lot of like logic and like they understand the data structures and algorithms, but go out there and ask them to make a website. Yeah, there's, there's a very small chance that that's going to happen. That's interesting that you don't consider that first course a weed out course. Like, cause like I, I, it's so low level, but it, I remember when I was in the it did program, we did Java and it was the same stuff. Like if you went and did like a four hour course on Java, it was like, fundamental control flow what variables do and like the, i think the hardest thing of the course was like you started doing like reverse a string and stuff like that <laughs> i and but i remember half the people never got past that course when i was in school they just dropped it they're like dude i don't know what this black magic stuff is and it just felt so much like like and people were cheating back when i yeah. was so, so much so that like it's how and you know cheaters are dumb right so they always get caught so it's a i um you know, I don't know if you did this or do this in your program, but you know, you leave a comment at the top of your file with your name and what the assignment is, something like that. These idiots submitted there in this class, <laughs> submitted it and forgot to change the name. Yeah. So they all had the same thing. I can say uh, that's happened in some of my classes. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that, it's sort of crazy. Cause it's not like that. Like I get it, It's your first programming class. It's, it's going to be new and hard, right? Just like any other skill, but it's uh, you know, I never saw half those people ever again. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that. I mean, I wouldn't say half, like, yeah, the GPA was low. I think a lot of people like just got by, like just, just barely like scraped the surface, got, got through that. No, I don't, I don't, just don't consider it a weed out class because for me it was so easy, but that's also because I feel like my perspective is really flawed on like at least really basic programming just because it's been so long since I've learned that, that I really don't know what it's like to be like an absolute beginner in today's age learning it. So maybe it is, maybe it's way harder than I'm saying it is, but like, I didn't find it that difficult. So to me, that was kind of like, you should have even known that was coming before you enrolled in the program. 
Like, I don't know, like if to me, if you're enrolling in computer science, you better have written like a hello world program before, uh, because that's just like, that's what you're going to do. Like, I guess some people don't know that, but there was people in my class that genuinely didn't even know how to like start writing code. Like they didn't know what an IDE was or like a text editor or anything like that. And to me, that was just like super flawed. I'm like, that's a huge mistake to me to enroll in a CS degree and not have even looked into some of the courses you're going to be taking. I kind of agree too. Uh, you know, I, I remember kind of looking, thinking back on my days in college as an undergrad in CS, but I, I definitely remember there was a whole group of beginners, people that had, were kind of really struggling. And then there was guys like, like you and me, Tim and, and Dylan that had been doing development for a long time that just clicked really easily that turned assignments in early and then the rest of the class was left behind. And fortunately, a lot of times when you're teaching, you kind of have to teach for the lowest denominator sometimes. So classes would stretch on for two or three weeks on basic concepts. Now, I think um, I will say, at least in my, my program, when I got to the, the senior and junior level, or a third year, fourth year, I guess it would be, um, um, would be a lot more difficult. Like I got into like a graphics class where I had to learn OpenGL and I had to create um, whole games. And that was like way harder than a lot of the other programming classes. And then also I took like a programming language class. And it kind of sounds like the one you were talking about where you do scheme and, and all these older languages and maybe in COBOL. And that was like a little bit more difficult too, at least for me at the time, just kind of learning these old languages. So it feels like it does ramp up um, depending on your skill level later on in the curriculum, I'm guessing. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Just sorry to butt in. Yeah, because that class that um, I'm taking now, the programming paradigms, is definitely more difficult because you're learning like imperative, logical, procedural, all these different kinds of programming, which you've probably never seen before. Uh, and it, it is getting harder. They're expecting you to do more, but at the same time, they're expecting you to do more, but teaching kind of less, if that makes any sense. Like there's most of my classes, I don't, I like, just be blunt. I don't go to like any of my classes pretty well. I just kind of sit at home and look at the PowerPoints if I need to and learn it on my own. But uh, most of the stuff, like from even just glancing through, they don't teach you a lot of the stuff that they expect you to know once you get into a higher level. Because I think they try to like be like, okay, you should be learning basic programming on your own. We're not going to teach you the syntax of the language. We're going to teach you the more advanced concepts. You're going to have to figure all that stuff out on your own. And maybe you guys can relate to that. Oh yeah. I remember some of the harder classes, my my graphics class I was in, it was definitely that. It was definitely high level in the lecture every day. And then you had to go in, jump into the book, actually learn the syntax to actually do it. And it was quite, quite daunting. But, you know, kind of that satisfaction when you learn those concepts is pretty good. I, th I think, Dylan, maybe you can relate here. Maybe if you're in a computer science curriculum, um, you can kind of approach it like you're well, the same things that you used to do, Dylan, when you were teaching yourself how to program where you were just spending like weekends and the nights just working on side projects and hustling and learning stuff on your own. I think you could do that on top of just being a part of your CS curriculum just to really level up your skills at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think if you want to be, I mean, there's always going to be people who scrape by, but why, why do you want to scrape by in anything you do? Right. So whether it's self-taught or degree program, you should want to go and excel and thrive. And like, even like for the back to that original course, that original sort of uh, CS course, I mean, the only thing I did, like I didn't all up until I took my very first like real programming course, I, all I knew was HTML, CSS. And then like a month before I went on Code Academy and started doing like free courses. I do remember that being very challenging and, and trying to tackle that. Um, but 
yeah, you should, I think, I think at any point in your life, if you plan on excelling, then the truth of the matter is you have to put a little bit more effort into something outside of the normal. Like this goes like, if you're going to work your career, if you want, everyone's working 40 hour weeks, but if you want to excel, if you're going to work an extra five, 10, 20 hours, because you're going to be doing more than the, the average person. And that really sort of compounds over time. I want to jump in here and ask a question about, and we're going to wrap it up here soon, is uh, diversity in schools. When I was in school, we had um, every year would go on, we'd have less diversity. And what I mean by that is we used to have, you know, a lot of women, men, people from a, a bunch of different backgrounds. And as time would go on and with at least my CS program, it pretty much was white men um, and the women usually dropped off. And by the time I got to my senior class, senior year, most of my classes had one, two, three women at most. And most of them were international. Um, do you think that's still, still the case in 2020, at least in the perspective you have with the school you're in? Do you think that's, that's still the case or is it more diverse? Um, I think it's definitely way more diverse now. I would say it's, it's hard for me to put numbers on it because to be honest, like I don't go to class that often, so I don't see them that many times. But uh, from what I've been, I would say like half my class is not um, like your typical, like they're not like a white male, if that's what you're looking at. Uh, there's a lot more international students, like almost half my school is international students. Uh, and it's a, like a 44,000 person school. Like you just, they, they're all over the place. Right. So in my programming classes, especially, I mean, it's, it's very like international. Most of it is international students. Like I don't want to, I'm not, I'm definitely not a minority by any means, but I would say it's probably like 30% male. This year, I know we had like, or not 30% male, sorry, 30% white male. Uh, but this year we had the highest enrollment of females in computer science in our school. So I don't know what that percentage rate was. I wish I knew it. I think it's probably somewhere around like 25% or 27% or something like that. But I think that's quite high for computer science compared to what it was in previous years. Because I've heard some programs with like 5 to 10% females, things like that. And I think like there's been so much movement towards diversity and so much talked about in terms of diversity that now it's it's becoming a thing like it is just way more diverse and like everything that i see even all these workplaces now right i've seen ads for workplaces that only want to hire people that are not a main uh ethnicity like they're like we we only want to hire people that are minority groups you know that's a different conversation on its own but i think that it's becoming way more diverse and i think that the challenges of in terms of like women saying that they can't get into tech now are people that are of you know background that can't get into tech i think that that's fading a lot i'm sure there still is a lot of difficulties and you know i'm not gonna say that there's not but i think that that's pretty much going away at least from what i can see and in fact i see a lot of people that are uh, a minority group that actually seem in my opinion to have some advantages over me uh in terms of getting jobs and in the program in general so that's kind of my take on it youtube sort of full-time as you go through your curriculum and studies yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, I don't have any like very specific goals. I mean, to me, things change. Like it, it's hard to make anything set in stone just because I am a student. Like my life is so dynamic. Things are changing constantly. Uh, but I'm really excited about this podcast that I'm starting. Like even this stuff, like I love these kind of conversations, just chatting about different things, like having some invite, insightful conversations. So that's really what I'm trying to kind of push towards now is branching out into a podcast as well and having these kind of conversations, you know, motivating people, inspiring them, giving advice, stuff like that. So my goal probably for this year is to really, you know, just 
go crazy on the podcast stuff, but also of course, keep growing my YouTube channel. I mean, the YouTube channel is always going to be my core platform. Uh, I'm going to keep posting. Hopefully by the end of the year, I can get close to that half a million mark. That's kind of a goal for myself. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm just going to keep doing it for me. Like I just like being productive, getting things done, doing things that are meaningful. And the more stuff that I can do with school, the better. And with this coronavirus stuff, as much as this is a huge, you know, impact on a lot of people's lives, to be quite honest, for me, this is one of the, like, I don't want to say best things that could happen, but in terms of what I'm able to do now, because school is so limited and what I actually have to do for that, uh, it gives me so much more time to focus on these things that I really like doing. So my YouTube channel, my business, my podcast, all of that. So that's kind of my goals. That's what I'm planning on doing. And I mean, you know, things change, but that's the idea. Keep up with YouTube and continue to grow this podcast and really get it off the ground. Awesome. Awesome. Also, one, one other quick question. Do you have any advice for if someone's in high school and they're looking to become a developer? Uh, do you have any advice to them? Should they go to college? Should, should they follow kind of in your footsteps? Or? Uh, yeah. So I think this is really, it comes down to being self-aware for me. You have to look at yourself and you have to say, am I motivated and driven enough that if I don't go to college, I am going to learn everything I need to learn and more? You have to look at yourself and say, okay, do I know that I'm not just going to sit at home and play video games all day? Do I know that I'm, that this is what I want to do? I want to be a self-taught developer and you know, this is the goal. And if that, the answer to that question is yes, then I don't think you need to go to college. I mean, I'm not going to discourage it. Like if your parents are going to give you a full ride to go to college, I think you'd be stupid to say no to that. I mean, that's kind of what's happening to me right now, but that's, that's kind of my opinion on that. But if you're someone and you're looking at yourself right now and you don't really know what you want to do and you're kind of just in between. First of all, I might recommend taking a year off and just figuring yourself out. Because to me, the biggest deal, especially at a young age, is becoming self-aware. Just understanding what you're good at, what you're bad at, and what you want to do. And as soon as you do that, your decisions just become so much easier. So if you look at yourself and you say, hey, you know what? I know that if I take a year off or I don't go to college, that it's not going to go well for me. I'm just, I'm not going to do everything. Like I'm not going to be motivated. Then maybe the better decision is to go because you're going to be forced by this grading rubric, by your profs, by trying to pass to do well. So that's kind of my advice. But what I would say to everyone is do something outside of school, especially if you want to do something meaningful. For me, like my life has gotten so much better from doing these kind of things, finding meaning in something other than a grade on paper. And if you can go and like make a website or a blog or something on the internet, it doesn't have to generate any money. You just find a hobby, something else you really like to do and a skill that you're going to build. I think that's going to help you in, in every aspect of life. So that's kind of my, my advice for that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's some great advice. I definitely want to do this again. Maybe in a couple of years, we'll have a follow-up. For sure. See, see where at in, in like two years, maybe they don't school. That'd be cool. Where, where can everybody reach you at? Where, what's the best way? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I have all different kinds of platforms. My main platform, obviously, is uh, my Tech with Tim YouTube channel. The podcast is Time Out with Tim. But if you guys want to talk to me on a more intimate level, I do have a Discord server. You, people DM me on there. Uh, you can find that in like some YouTube video links. Also, Twitter, that's Tech with Tim with two M's at the end and Instagram as well. So, if you guys want to DM me, ask me for advice, like, you know, <laughs> you can't. Hey, guys, thanks for watching. If you want to find more about what I'm up to, go to DylanIsrael.com. And if you want to know what I'm up to, you can check out my website at eric.video. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And if you do, you might even be featured on our next episode. Don't forget to check out the website at selftaughtornot.com. From there, you can sign up for a mailing list where we give away free courses and a bunch of cool stuff. And we'll also let you know when the next episode comes out. And finally, 
you didn't know, we have a Facebook group. It's called Code Tech and Caffeine. We have over 10,000 members and you can find the link at selftaughtornot.com. So come join us. We have tons of developers willing to help you guys, mentor you guys. Check it out. Just make sure you go to selftaughtornot.com and check out the Code Tech and Caffeine link. Thanks and take care. Thank you.